Good morning. Good morning. It is lovely to see you. It's lovely to be able to welcome you to Charlotte Chapel this morning. My name is Andy Patterson. I'm one of the pastors here. And a little bit later, our lead pastor, Paul Reese, is going to be preaching God's Word to us. If you're here as a visitor, if this is amongst your first time here to us, we especially want to say we're glad you're here. And whatever your condition, whatever state you find yourself in, however this past week has been, we want you to know that there is a welcome in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are glad that you're here. And to the church family that regularly gathers in this place, brothers and sisters, it is good to be together and it is good to have the opportunity to join and worship the living God as one. Now we're going to be beginning our time by singing one of those great old hymns, glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion, city of our God. It's a great hymn, but the trouble with some of these great hymns is that we go on autopilot, certainly those of us who have been used to coming to church and being followers of Jesus for a long time. What on earth does that mean? Well, we need to understand that when uh, the hymn writer is speaking about Zion, it is picture language of God's saved people. And he's speaking about all the joys and privileges that are theirs in Jesus. So let's celebrate that together. Let's stand and sing.
please be seated. The good news is not, not only that our sovereign God rules and reigns lovingly, wisely, but there's some other good news, and that next Sunday, as we gather, if you want to dispense with your mask, you will be free to do so, and for the first time in a long, long time. Uh, we'll be able to sing without masks, if you so wish. If you want to keep your mask on, that's absolutely fine. Uh, that will be your choice, but at least it will be our choice as we gather next Sunday. Let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. Sovereign Father, as we reflect on all the privileges that are ours, as your blood-bought children, we pray that you'd fix our eyes on you, the giver of all good things. We grow so easily distracted and so self-absorbed that we're so slow to rejoice in who you are and worship you for all you've done. Help us to be still before you, putting to one side all the rush and demands of a Sunday morning so that we can recalibrate our lives in the light of your character. We want to praise you that you are God, there is none like you, and acknowledge you as the creator and sustainer of all things. We worship you that you are holy and good and loving. We praise you that in your grace and for your glory, you sent Jesus to be the rescuer and redeemer of lost and rebellious folk like us. We thank you that the one who was truly human and truly divine gave his life for us on Calvary's cross. We adore you that the price was paid for helpless rebels to be forgiven. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for opening our eyes and transforming our lives, for making us new, for adopting us into your family. Grant that as we spend time together, we will grow in knowledge, obedience, love, and faith. And we ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Next week, uh, when we gather on the Sunday, it's the start for us here at Charlotte Chapel of an important week of mission. It's a national mission that's going on called Passion for Life. And we are engaging in it in a number of ways. Now, if you don't know about this, it's probably because you are a newcomer, because we have often been speaking about passion for life. And I'd just like to put up a checklist on screen uh, that you can work through. Uh, and I want you deliberately to work through. So uh, first of all, as you saw there, pray for events and pray for Michael Otts. Michael Otts is going to be our preacher uh, next Sunday and on Easter Sunday, and he's going to be speaking at other events during the course of the week. Pray for Michael. He's a great communicator of the good news of Jesus Christ. Would you join for at least one prayer meeting? We have a week of prayer coming up, beginning tomorrow. We would love you to join for at least one. Church members in particular, we have this privilege this opportunity to pray with one another. You will find the details of that in the MailChimp that came around on Friday. Please join for at least one prayer event. On uh, Monday, it's going to be on Zoom. Tuesday, we're going to be meeting physically in the Candlish. 
Wednesday, it's going to be in our growth groups. Thursday and Friday, it's going to be on Zoom. The Zoom link is available uh, on the MailChimp. Then please do be connecting and inviting friends and neighbors. Let's use this next week in particular. Those that we've been thinking about and praying about, this is the week to maybe get those invites out. And you will have seen, you are either given as you came in or uh, have, are sitting on one of these leaflets that gives you details for two things that I'm going to mention in a moment or two. Then it's important that we book tickets for the Usher Hall for the Easter Sunday evening meeting. We're not going to be meeting here on Easter Sunday evening, but we are going to be meeting at the Usher Hall. To do that, you need to go online and book tickets. Please, would you do that? Even today, go and book tickets. The admission is free. They will ask you for a donation as you book up, but please do book tickets for the Origin Resurrection uh, event. Michael Lotz is going to be the preacher Usher Hall on Sunday the 17th in the evening, that Easter Sunday evening. Please do visit the art exhibition and cafe that's going to be running uh, from the week beginning the 11th through to the 15th. We have over 80 works of art done by our own members that will be displayed in here. We'll have a, a cafe as well. It's just a great opportunity between 10 and 3 to pop in with a friend or a neighbor, uh, have a look at some of the pieces of art that will be done, and we trust will lead to conversations and opportunities to invite to particularly the two uh, special opportunities we have, Songs of Praise on Tuesday the 12th at 7.30. That's going to be, uh, there's going to be the choir that will be singing, will be singing congregationally. And there are four videoed uh, testimonies, four interviews. And they have been recorded. I've seen the first cut of uh, a couple of them. And they are stunning, really are. They, they are just such great testimonies to the love and mercy of Jesus Christ. Uh, so do come on that particular Tuesday, the 12th, and then come to Easter Praise on Good Friday evening. You'll want to do that, being Good Friday. Good Friday evening, 7.30 p.m., Easter Praise. And then why don't you invite someone to the Dalmahoy breakfast? If you haven't already done so, we're running a special breakfast event. Again, Michael Otz is also going to be speaking on that occasion. The details you've already been given uh, details there in that MailChimp. Do follow through on these. Friends, the time is almost upon us uh, for these things. Let's make sure that we've got that checklist sorted. And by the way, there's a sports quiz that's uh, going to be this coming Friday. I know we've got at least one team going from the church to that quiz, which is being held at the, uh, Hammer to, uh, the Edinburgh Academicals uh, rugby ground and their um, provisions there, their clubhouse so it's happening, and it's happening around the city, and we want you to be part of that and actively using these opportunities. Now, we're going to sing again uh, together. We're going to be singing one of those great hymns. It's a great modern hymn, uh, recently uh, written, Great is the Gospel of Our Glorious God. And just to say that as we sing this hymn together, the children, during the singing of it, they're going to be going out to their various groups the various classes, children up to P7, you're going to be going out during the singing of this song. So let's stand and sing together. Great is the gospel of our glorious God.
seated. We're going to come to our scripture reading, and Amaka is going to be reading from us from Romans chapter 14, uh, verses 1 and then into verse 13. And after Amaka has read the scriptures to us, Kath is going to be leading us in our pastoral prayer. We're reading from Romans chapter 14, verses 1 to 13. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God, and whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, Every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Let's pray. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Our loving Father God, we want to thank you this morning for the joy and privilege that we have to meet together as your people. We want to thank and praise you again for sending a rescuer to us, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank and praise you for your mercy and grace which found us and saved us and goes on transforming our lives through your spirit. And this morning we want to pray that you would burn onto our hearts a greater desire for others to come and know the Lord Jesus as their saviour, as their Lord. And we pray particularly that you would impress on us, especially this week, that greater desire to pray 
Lord, not just to pray in our own hearts, but to pray together as your people, to pray for our city, our communities, for those who need Christ in our family and amongst our friends. Father, we pray for final preparations for the Passion for Life Week. We pray for that as it happens all over the country, but we pray especially here for Michael Otts as he prepares to speak at the different events. We long that your spirit will be at work in the hearts and lives of people. Lord, strengthen our faith in believing that you are, as the living God, you're able to save. May our trust be in you, the God who saves. Father, forgive us when we look to ourselves, when we rely on ourselves. Renew that desire in us to love and pray for those outside of Christ. And Father, as a church family, we want to pray for some of those that we love who are continuing to suffer long-term health issues and those who are especially very unwell at this time. We pray for Celia Barron. We pray for Sam this morning and for their sons, Andrew and Paddy. Lord, be very close to them. And especially today, we pray for Alastair and Karen McCormack. We also want to raise to you Sheila and Fred Howard, for Adrian and Val Todd, for Ian and Joyce Balfour, for Sarah Forsyth. May each of these brothers and sisters in Christ know comfort through your presence and renewed hope as they trust in your promises. And for those convalescing at home, for Becky McIntyre, for Natasha Black and Tony Norton, Father, would they look to you for strength as they persevere in weakness? We thank you and praise you for all of our cross-cultural workers, and today we want to pray for Alex and Carla Watt. We share in their joy of seeing work completed, work on translations, and especially for the Easter Bible storybooks, that they would be used in Alatau to transform the lives of many Madaimu people. And would you give these people a hunger for your word? And as we go on praying for our Muslim friends during this fast month of Ramadan, we want to pray especially for the Marba people in Chad. Father, would you be calling a people for yourself from the Marba people and from many across the nations of our world? Our hearts are heavy as we continue to pray for the ongoing war in Ukraine. Lord, we continue to plead for peaceful and just settlements to be reached for your mercy and provision for the many refugees, and that you would refresh the hearts of our Christian brothers and sisters in Ukraine and Russia. And we want to pray for our Pastor Paul. We thank you for him, and we pray for him as he preaches your word this morning. Lord, would you grant us ears ready to hear and humble and willing hearts to respond in obedience to your word today. And we ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Just before we sing again, um, to outline, we've, we were just praying for some of our uh, cross-cultural workers. Uh, the latest 
Uh, prayer booklet is out. If you're especially a member here or a regular attender, you will want to pray for the workers that we've sent out into different parts of the world. If you haven't yet picked up your copy, they are going to be available all over. You won't probably have to look too hard. There will be people uh, holding them and giving them to you if you haven't received already. It's a wonderful resource and tool that we have. But before Paul comes to bring God's word to us, we've got the opportunity to sing once more, O God, beyond all praising. So please stand and we'll sing together. take a seat and let me add my welcome. I, I know some uh, folk have, have not wanted to come while there's still uh, face masks uh, being required and so if you're watching at home right now, next Sunday is your big Sunday. You can come because there'll be no mandate for wearing face masks next Sunday. Well, uh, can I ask you just to uh, put on your crash helmet and hold your seat because I'm going to rattle through a number of contentious issues that Christians at times through church history have had quite heated disputes about. Are you ready? Should Christian men only wear suits and ties on Sunday? And should women only wear their Sunday best clothes? After all, if you were going to meet the queen, you would wear your best clothes. Then surely if you're going to meet the king of kings, you would do the same. 
should we sing hymns uh, accompanied by musical instruments in church, or should we only sing psalms unaccompanied? Should a church ever have a drum kit or ever have an organ when we gather for corporate worship? Should Christians wear makeup? Should Christians smoke tobacco, either in cigarettes, cigars, or pipes? Should Christians vape? Should Christians drink alcohol or go to pubs? Should Christians have TV sets in their home? Should Christians follow the liturgical calendar? Should we mark the season of Lent? You know, fasting from some food over 40 days because Jesus fasted for 40 days. Is it a sin to eat meat on a Friday? Or should we only eat fish because Jesus died on a Friday? Um, Given the ecological crisis and animal welfare, should we eat meat at all? Should we all become vegetarians? Should we become vegans? Can you be a Christian and vote for the Conservative Party? Can you be a Christian and not vote for the Conservative Party? Or replace the word conservative with any other political party, Labour, Lib Dems, Scottish National Party, Alba, Scottish Family Party, Greens, you know? Should Christians even vote at all? Because it is such a worldly matter. Now, over the years, Christians have had some heated disagreements about these sort of topics. In church history, uh, these have been called matters of adiaphora. They are matters that are neither commanded or forbidden in the Bible. They're not essential to the Christian faith. They're topics upon which the scriptures are not altogether fully clear. And yet, Christians can get quite entrenched views in their opinions about these matters. They can become divisive subjects between Christians. And people can become so committed to their idea that their approach is the only godly and right way of thinking about the matter that they can look very judgmentally on those who have a different way of thinking. Indeed, they might even look at those people and wonder, can they be even considered a Christian at all? While the person being judged to be lax, who seems to enjoy their freedom on a particular point of dispute, can actually be tempted to despise those poor, narrow legalists who get so hung up on the matter. Now, I'm not really aware of any big matters of disagreement at Charlotte Chapel, but I know that my friends who pastor in the U.S. uh, during the COVID crisis have found this a very difficult time. Heated debates have been about whether you should ever wear face masks or not. Should you get the COVID vaccine or not? It's actually become a political issue rather than a medical health issue. And it's left pastors feeling quite frazzled as they've tried to keep everyone together. Now, as these sort of disputable matters just keep coming up in in the history of church life, it is vitally important that we have clarity and charity about how we respond to such matters. What does God have to say to us about that? Well, please open your Bibles again to Romans chapter 
14 that was read to us a little bit earlier, Romans chapter 14. Now Paul's going to, the Apostle Paul's going to address this matter uh, from 14 through into chapter 15, and I'm going to break it down into three sections. So we're just looking at the first part today, Romans 14 verses 1 to maybe halfway through verse 13. So let me just briefly pray and ask that God would help us. Uh, Father, we thank you for the unity that we have enjoyed as a fellowship, and we don't take that for granted. We ask that we would hear your voice to us through your word, that we would discern uh, your word rightly, that we would be able to uh, stand on what is vital and important and be charitable on these disputable matters. Would you help us and teach us? In Christ's name, amen. Well, the Apostle Paul starts with his positive principle there in chapter 14, verse 1. Except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. That's his positive principle as he starts his discussion on this. And so we're not talking here about the essentials of the Christian faith. Uh, those are not in dispute there are clear truths in the Bible, especially relating to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if, if you don't believe them, you're just basically not a Christian. We're not talking about the commands of Scripture where to disobey is clearly sin. But there are other matters where genuine Christians will disagree on how to apply the Bible to life. And, and the gospel is kind of like an anchor that secures a boat but still allows it to bob about in the water a bit. It gives it some latitude. And, and the Bible recognizes that we're all at different stages of growth and maturity in our understanding of the Christian faith and its implications. We're all involved in an ongoing reformation of allowing the Word of God and the, and the gospel uh, to shape how we think and how we live as we relate the Lord Jesus to every aspect of our lives. Uh, verse 1 could be translated in this way, in this way except the, the one weak in the faith without quarreling over disputable matters. So we may have come to our opinions because we've not fully grasped the liberty of Christian freedom that is ours now through faith in Jesus Christ. We're, we're trusting Jesus for our salvation. We're genuine believers, but we're still working out the implications and the applications of the gospel to the different ways we, we think and live. And Paul's got two specific examples that he refers to in the verses that uh, was read earlier that were very relevant for the church in Rome in the first century. A church where there's a mixture of people, some from a Greco-Roman pagan background who've now come to put their faith in Jesus, and others from a Jewish uh, background, and they put their faith in Jesus as their Messiah. And the first example that he picks is this disputable matter about eating meats, certain meats. Look at verse 2. One's person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. So those coming from a Jewish background uh, would have had the experience of growing up with a very strict dietary laws from the Old Testament, from the book of Leviticus and other places, of what meat uh, could be eaten and what should not be eaten. Jesus declared all foods clean, that uh, all foods could now be eaten as he fulfills the law. 
But that was a massive change for people who all their lives had been used to these strict dietary laws. It took uh, the Christians a long time to work this out. Remember, the Apostle Peter struggled to accept his freedom. Uh, he had those visions of, a, of, of, a, of all those animals lowered on a sheep before him, and he was told to take and eat, and he was struggling to think about eating unclean animals. And then he got invited to go and preach the gospel to a Roman centurion called Cornelius, because the Lord was teaching Peter that now all foods are clean, and you should be not allowing these food laws to get in the way of fellowship with potentially Gentile uh, believers. Now, there's another issue. Uh, well, I mean, so there's the Jewish people. Now, the, the Gentiles would have had no problem about tucking into their plate of prawns and pork, would they? So, well, yeah, they're still enjoying that. Yeah, no problem. So you've got attention at church about those food laws. Another issue at that time is that um, most of the food uh, that was, you know, most of the meat was slaughtered in Roman, uh, well, in pagan temples. Uh, and, and then maybe it was all later sold in the marketplace. And um, I suppose it's not like the fact that you can go to some places now and the, the food, the, the meat is halal meat. It's been slaughtered under Islamic laws and with these Islamic prayers. Now, for those strong in their understanding of the Christian faith, of God's good creation, and, and knowing that these idols are not true gods, then it would not bother them at all about where the, the, the meat had been sacrificed, and they'd be happy to eat any meat. But for some, maybe even formerly pagan Christian believers, it would be hard for them to disconnect their old pagan lifestyle with these meats. And so they may have had struggles with that as well. These are possible ways that the food issue could have been a problem in first century Rome. And you can imagine some would say, actually, do you know what? We don't know where this meat has come from. So let's adopt a safety strategy and let's not eat any meat at all. Let's go vegetarian. Now, on these disputed matters, it's okay to have your own opinions. But the big problem comes when we start making uncharitable judgments on those with different opinions. Can you imagine how traumatic it would have been to have a church potluck in Rome in the first century? You know, all the various parties and groups eyeing very carefully what, what food you picked up at the table. And look at that. You know, as one guy's munching to his cheeseburger with bacon. Oh, can't believe he's doing that. You know, you can imagine how this would have caused problems. So the positive uh, principle is clear. Christians, we are to accept each other as genuine Christian believers, we should be people endlessly, we should, we should not be people who are endlessly seeking to needle and provoke other people who don't agree with us on these, uh, these, these secondary matters. We shouldn't be those looking to start arguments and disputes. Now, some people love to argue and love to dispute. It's entertaining for them. They enjoy it. It energizes them. And I have to confess, I've been one of those people in the past. And uh, if you've been at the receiving end, please accept my apologies. But why should we avoid quarrels on these disputed matters? Why should we accept uh, one another as Christians? Well, I want to give us three reasons uh, this morning from the text. And the first reason is this. 
God's acceptance matters more than our opinions. God's acceptance matters more than our opinions. Look at verse 3. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. That's the wonderful truth we need to remember. God has accepted them. That's the wonderful possibility of the gospel of God. Rebellious, sinful people like us can be accepted by God. It wasn't an easy thing to accomplish. We've been singing about it in some of our hymns. It required God's precious Son to enter into the world, to take on human flesh, to live this perfect life before offering Himself as a sacrifice um, in our place. Through His death upon the cross, we can be freely justified by His grace. We can be made acceptable to God. Whatever our background today, whatever our past history, we are all sinners of differing degrees who can be freely made right with God through putting our trust in Jesus Christ. All who've put their faith and their confidence in Jesus have peace with God. We have access into God's presence we are fully accepted by Him. This is just the most amazing, joyful truth of the gospel of God. It, it's, it's true for everyone today who put their trust in Jesus. Uh, God's Holy Spirit comes into our lives and He gives us spiritual life and He makes us brand new people on the inside. And so when I meet someone who's trusting Jesus, who has the Spirit of God in them, then we know that God has accepted them. Uh, do you remember when... Uh, Peter gets the house of Cornelius, the, the Roman centurion. He begins to start preaching the gospel. And then there's a sort of a second little Pentecost moment when the Spirit is poured out on these, on these Gentile believers. And, and, and Peter and those who are with him just say, well, look, it's clear that God has accepted them. And so we need to baptize them. For, because baptism is a key way we show that we recognize you as a Christian believer in, in, in Christ. Now, if God has accepted people, who do we think we are not to accept them? God's acceptance matters more than our opinions based on disputable matters. That's the first principle. Second principle is this. Accepting people who honor Jesus Christ as Lord matters more than our personal convictions on these secondary matters. See, Paul moves to this second example, and it's about recognizing certain days as sacred. If you look at verse 5, one person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Now again, for those coming from a, a Jewish background, there were certain festivals where the Jewish people were instructed to observe, that, like the Passover festival, but as the years went by, uh, Jewish tradition added further festivals and days of fasting that were not specifically uh, commanded by the Hebrew Scriptures. So the festival light of Hanukkah uh, being one example. Should Jewish believers continue to celebrate all these special days as an essential part of their Christian discipleship? 
Should Gentile Christians, uh, uh, who uh, should they follow all the, the patterns of the Jewish festivals themselves and the, and the feast days to be proper Christians? Now, these debates continue to surface throughout history. I, I, I came across several Christian groups in the United States when I passed there who taught that if you wanted to be a serious Christian, then you needed to, um, you know, uh, start blowing the Christian trumpet, the shofar. You should start building um, uh, tabernacles in the back garden at the certain times of the year. You should, you should meet to worship on Saturday rather than Sunday because Saturday is the Sabbath day, the proper Sabbath day. And if you were a serious, proper Christian, that's how you're going to do it. Now, other Christians have, have come to different points of view on this and seen that the radical way that the coming of Jesus has, has just fulfilled the Old Testament law, that there's no, we're no longer subject to the civil and the ceremonial laws of, of Israel. See, when we gather at the Lord's table this evening, it's not the Passover that we're remembering, but the Lord Jesus Christ, who came as the fulfillment of the Passover in his death and resurrection. It's the Lord Jesus that we remember at communion. All of the Ten Commandments of the Old Testament are taught in the New Testament, but now in relationship to the coming of Jesus. All of them apart from one. And that's the commandment about remembering the Sabbath day and keeping it holy. And the writer to the Hebrews reminds us that the Sabbath day we look forward to is yet to come. And so the Apostle Paul, he writes to the church in Colossae, and he says this in chapter 2, verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Jesus Christ. And so other Christians do not see that any day is any more holy than any other. In some sense, they're all holy to the Lord. Now, we don't have time to explore all of this, and I'm conscious that I'm running very quickly through a minefield, and there are bombs exploding behind me that people have got very excitable about over the years, but I'm running through quick. And um, the key principle really is in verse 5. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. That's what Paul teaches. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Each of us, we need to search the Scriptures and come to the place where we are fully persuaded about what the Scripture teaches and we should inform our own consciences from the Scriptures about how we're going to live in a way that honors the Lord. Because that's the critical thing, is are we honoring the Lord? Look at verse 6. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. And whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. For they give thanks to God, and whoever abstains does so to the Lord, and gives thanks to God. So the critical matter in these disputed issues is not whether you do or do not regard certain days as holy, or whether you do or do not eat certain meats or eat only vegetables. It's that you seek to honor the Lord in what you do. Whichever way you land on these issues of meats or days, the question is, are you fully convinced that you're being faithful to God's word so that you are honoring the Lord by the actions that you take? And so if you see your sister 
sincerely giving thanks to God for her plate of vegetables, or another brother sincerely giving thanks to God for his plate of steak or pork, then you know, even if they are taking an exactly opposite view to your view, you're relating to someone who honors the Lord Jesus Christ. And accepting people who honor Jesus Christ as Lord matters more than our personal convictions on disputable matters. And we have a terrible tendency, I think, to allow secondary matters to kind of become the important things that define us, that we forget what is the fundamental thing that truly unites us as Christians. What matters is not whether we, what we eat or drink, whether we wear suits and ties, whether we have drums, guitars, or organs, or our stance on political matters. That's not what really matters. What really matters is that the purpose of our whole life is to honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 7. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. The Christian is someone who lives for the Lord. They've been freed from slavery uh, to, to sin, to Satan, to be liberated, to become a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, he purchased my pardon and he bought me and redeemed me for himself to be his willing, joyful servant. That's how the Apostle Paul viewed himself. Very first verse of this letter to the Romans, Romans 1 verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. And you know what? This is true of every Christian believer here today. In chapter 7, verse 14, he reminds his readers, So my brothers and sisters, you also die to the Lord through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who, raised, who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. The thing is, the Christian is not a master of his own life. We're not the captain of our own soul. Christ is the captain of our soul. He is our Lord. He is our master. We are his servants. We belong to him. And so the question in our lives is not, where do I want to work and live? The question should really be, where does the Lord want me to work and live? The question is not, when do I want to retire and what do I want to do in my retirement? But when does the Lord want me to retire and what does he want me to do with my retirement? No Christian should live as if his own desires and his own plans are the only thing that counts. We live for the Lord. And notice it also says, not only is this about how we live, but also how we die. It's not for us to decide about when we die, where we will die, how we will die. That's not our prerogative. Whether it's in a car accident or through a disease or martyrdom, that will all be in the Lord's hands. And the life to come will be better by far, but it's not our right to hasten the process, to try and speed it up by committing suicide. 
For none of us dies to ourselves alone, it says. If we die, we die for the Lord. So it's quite remarkable, isn't it? We've got into pretty heavy territory from the issue of meets and days. But do you see what the Apostle Paul is doing for the church in Rome? He's moving them from the, the, the kind of tensions that they're having about small secondary matters, the things that can cause quarrels between Christians, and he's pulling them back to remind them about what's absolutely fundamental that unites them all. Verse 9, for this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Don't fight about meats and days. Don't stress about whether Christians vape or smoke or vote for a particular political party. That's not the determining factor. The key thing to focus on is this. Jesus Christ died on a cross and he rose from the dead so that he exercises lordship now, not only those who live, but of those who died. He's conquered death. He's, he's the boss. He's the Lord of death. He's come through the other side. Do you know any other person that can fix the problem of death? I know no other. Isn't it precious that his lordship extends over all people, whether they're alive or dead? I think that's very precious for those who've lost dear Christian parents or spouses or children. Jesus is still Lord over those who have died. You know, as you pray and walk with the Lord Jesus Christ today, he is the same Lord who is relating to those who have died and are consciously in the paradise of his presence. That's a wonderful thing. There is, in a sense, unbroken fellowship together through the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all his servants. Their work, of course, is complete. They've entered into their rest and rewards. Our work continues. And we have the privilege of honoring and serving the Lord with our lives on the earth, an opportunity to make our lives count, to serve him who loved us and gave himself for us. That's the fundamental truth. And so we should accept those who honor Jesus Christ as Lord. That matters so much more than our personal convictions on secondary matters. And the third reason is his verses 10 and 12. Accepting them as brothers who will also stand before God's judgment seat matters more than our judgment of them. Look at verse 10. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? Um, Sharon and I recently celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary, and I was, I was remembering that on our honeymoon, we visited a, a small little brethren assembly uh, in a town close to the rental cottage that we had. And uh, as, as we came in the door, there was a tiny group of people in this hall, and there was basically four other women and one man. And by them wearing their head coverings, I knew that only the men were going to take part. I thought, oof, pressure's on. It was only me and this guy um, in this open time of worship uh, uh, before we were going to break bread. 
And so I did my bit. And so on two separate occasions, uh, I read some scripture. Um, I, I shared some thoughts on it. And I led in prayer. And I, get, and I, I suggested we sung a particular hymn just to kind of make use of the time. And uh, so did this other brother. He was, it was only him and me. And I thought, oh, well, I've done my bit. At the end, he came up to me and he came over and he said, uh, what version of the Bible did you read, brother? I said, the NIV. Oh, he said, in such a way to make me think that I was a deeply unimpressive person. <laughs> we can get so fixated on the matters that don't count. We can divide on the, on the most ridiculous matters. Dividing ourselves from other Christian believers. And Paul reminds them that there's something much more fundamentally important that unites them as, uh, as Christians. Number one, that God accepts them. Number two, that Jesus Christ died and rose to be their Lord as he's our Lord. And thirdly, that this is a brother and sister who is in the family of God. Why do you judge your brother and sister, he says. Okay, so you like to celebrate Lent. You put ash on your forehead and you think that's an important way of honoring the Lord Jesus. Well, that's great. You're still my brother or sister if you trust the Lord Jesus and are filled with his spirit. You think we should only use the King James Version. Well, I have liberty to use the NIV. Well, the important thing is this, that we're brothers in the same family. You vote for a different political party. You, you, you think that the leader of that political party doesn't have much integrity. Well, let's agree to disagree dis uh, agreeably. And because it's, what's more important is that we are brothers and sisters in the same family. And we know it's not our job to judge. God is the judge. Uh, as it goes on to say, um, verse 10, For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, and every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Each of us then, knowing that we are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, we should be fully convinced in our own minds about how we are to honor and serve the Lord. And one day we will have to give an account to him of how we have lived. And we know that God has appointed Jesus to be the judge on that day. Now we should be clear here that for the Christian, this is not a judgment about your salvation. It's already secure. You've been justified. You have peace with God. You will be glorified. So it's not a judgment of salvation. But there is a judgment about reward. How we have served the Lord Jesus, with our time and our money, our gifts and our talents. It does matter how we live as Christians. We will all have to give an account. So let's not waste our time passing judgment on someone else's servant, the Lord's servant. The Lord's going to judge them, and he's also going to judge you and me. And we should not care so much about how other people, how, you know, about what other people, how they judge us. We should really have our eyes focused on the one who is really going to judge us that counts. It's his approval that we seek. It's his judgment that matters. It's his commendation that really counts. And so for all these wonderful reasons, 
We should be a fellowship of believers who accept and peacefully welcome and love each other without quarreling over disputable matters. May God give us the grace to live this out together. I can invite the band to come up, or the band, the singers. We're going to close with a wonderful hymn. Remind us what the kingdom of God is about, and it's about justice and joy. So let's stand and sing, and then we can enjoy fellowshipping together as God's people. who gives endurance and encouragement give us the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice we may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and God's people said